Hello and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you've joined us today. We hope you're safe, protected, and feeling peaceful in your journey here in this life and on the path God has you on. If you're not safe, or if you know of someone who's not, please call or have them call the National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, which of course spells SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, as you know, it's been quite a while since I've recorded a podcast, and the truth is um, it's been a really rough time. It's been very busy Um, But I've been struggling with some issues in my own personal life with some family members. And so I'm actually not going to get into that right now today, Um, maybe at a later time as God leads me. And if you have questions, feel free to ask and I'll be happy to answer those questions because um, I am, uh, my life is an open book. God has called me to share the truth and I try really hard to do that and I am fully aware or well aware of the fact that uh, these podcasts are from my perspective, what I've experienced, what I've researched, what I've learned, and what I've observed. And I try very hard to base what I say on the Bible and not necessarily my interpretation of the Bible because I am not one to pick and choose what I like out of what the Bible says but I believe and accept all of it as God's inspired word. So I believe what God's calling me to share with you today is a message of hope as a result of my own personal struggles. Um, And so part of this is going to start with the truth. Um, Again, I don't really enjoy being vulnerable, but God has called me to it to, and my life is an open book, to try to help others um, have comfort with the same comfort God has given me. Um, But in order to have comfort, you have to be uncomfortable to begin with, or there's nothing to comfort, right? So um, as you know, this podcast ministry, this podcast is a biblically-based podcast to share my testimony and the testimony of others from a biblical worldview um, of our success stories and how God has delivered us and blessed us specifically from domestic violence. So I've shared in other podcast episodes a lot of my story, um, especially as it relates to domestic violence, mostly Uh, regarding my marriage, some of it regarding my childhood. I have been in counseling for many years now, off and on, mostly on. And um, there are things that I struggle with that are very personal to me. Um, But I've learned that that's nothing to be ashamed about or ashamed of. And that in fact, although most people don't share this kind of information with the world or in public. Um, 
there are many, many people who struggle with similar issues and other different issues as well. And um, this, again, is a message of hope, but in order to have hope, we have to start somewhere where it seems like we're without hope so that we can be encouraged by the hope that we've been given. We've been given hope by God, um, so I will get to that. But first, let's start with the bad news so that eventually we can get to the good news. Um, I, I hesitate to say all this because sometimes people misunderstand and they think that I record these podcasts for attention or that I view myself as a victim or that I want sympathy. And all of those things are actually very far from the truth. While it is true that sometimes I express my frustration and anxiety with or disappointment with some of the different circumstances that can happen in anyone's life, really, um, I really despise people pitying me or feeling sorry for me because I am so blessed. God has blessed me so much. But I had to get to a place where I could accept those blessings. And it's really difficult and really challenging sometimes. But I have learned in the counseling in the past several years, which I didn't believe at first, that the different things that I have shared as it relates to domestic abuse in my life, both in my childhood, um, my extended family members, um, toxic family members and, um, you know, relatives and, uh, basically all of that. Um, well, I lost my train of thought, so it must have not been that important, <laughs> but basically what I was going to say is that, um, I've learned that everything I've been through has had certain consequences and has caused certain things in my life, which, like I said earlier, I didn't used to believe that that was even possible. Um, people have tried to tell me for years that stress is what is causing my body to do one thing or another. Um, for example... Uh, for a while, I was having what were finally diagnosed as migraines with aura. For a long time, doctors thought I was going blind. Thought They thought it was the beginning of me going blind. Um, multiple doctors, not a lot, but a few, several doctors. And um, finally found out, thankfully, from a neurological ophthalmologist, who obviously specializes in her field and is excellent at what she does, came highly recommended that, thank God, thankfully, I was not indeed not going blind. But these were a result of what I said a minute ago called migraines with aura. And what would happen was, but I had no idea what was going on and the doctors didn't understand it either. Um, they even diagnosed me with papilledema for a while, which is basically extra fluid on your brain and your spine. Um, but I am overweight, but that condition of papilledema, it is usually 
presents itself, usually presents itself in people who are even much more overweight than I am, according to all of the physicians with whom I counseled and spoke. And, um, but like I said, what would happen would be, um, for example, this was a few years ago when it started happening, I would be teaching and suddenly my vision was completely blurry and I could barely see. I definitely could not see to read and I did not feel safe to drive. And this, I called them episodes. I called them vision episodes because I didn't know what to call them because I didn't know what they were at first and nobody knew what they were at first. Like I said, the doctors didn't even know what was going on for, with me for a few years, actually, two or three years at least. Um, but I would suddenly have the blurred vision. It would just come on rapidly with no warnings whatsoever. And then I couldn't see well for 20 minutes at a time. And they increased gradually to where they would be 30 minutes. Well, long story short, um, since the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and I know my body pretty well, I always have, I finally decided to try and figure out what was wrong with me on my own. And it took quite a while. But I finally realized there was a chemical ingredient or an, a food additive, an additive called monosodium glutamate, which is um, commonly known as MSG. A lot of people have never heard of it or don't know what it is, especially people in the restaurant in industry, which is ironic because a lot of restaurants use it. Um, and I eventually, by trial and error, realized I'm allergic to it. And MSG or monosodium glutamate actually was causing me to have those migraines with aura. And so thankfully, I figured that out and realized what the cause was. And I almost never have one of those what I called vision episodes anymore. Thank God. Um, sometimes they were happening with a lack of sleep, too. And so I'm very careful to try to get enough sleep, but it was primarily seemed to be caused by um, monosodium glutamate, or as I said, uh, commonly known as MSG, which can also present itself if you look at food labels on boxes, cans, etc., as uh, artificial flavors. I almost said natural flavors, but it's artificial flavors. Um, and, and so that was, that's just one like medical issue that I've developed over the years. And thankfully I figured out what it was and thankfully it wasn't me going blind. And when I told my doctor, um, that I eventually got after I moved, she said, oh yeah, that makes sense. So there we go. So thankfully that one's better. But what I have learned over the years, again, that I never believed before when I was younger is that. Some of the things that happen to us in our lives, especially traumatic things, traumatic things like, um, for example, abuse or rape or, um, you know, being attacked at, you know, having a gun at knife point, having a gun held to us, anything's like anything traumatic can actually cause our bodies to physically react. And um, 
I've realized over the years that some of my medical issues, some of my physical issues are a direct result of the abuse I endured, um, both throughout my childhood and then throughout the years in which I was married as an adult. And so it is, I've learned, it is absolutely crazy to me, um, all these different things that can pop up or show up or appear even years later after you've been through a trauma or you've been um, abused or whatever the trauma has to be that through which you've gone. And um, like I said, this is a very personal podcast episode. Um, I have been diagnosed since years ago with uh, chronic depression And um, I've known for a long time that that was, you know, something I struggle with, something I battle on an almost daily basis. Um, I get my joy from having a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And that makes me joyful, which is different than happy. um, But that makes me joyful. But just because I'm a Christ follower, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that that chronic depression goes away. And I have bouts of depression, you know, it doesn't happen super often, um, but it is not a lack of faith is what I learned from my Christian doctor. Um, Neither is anxiety, which a lot of people, especially students nowadays, um, deal with anxiety or have anxiety or struggle with anxiety. And it tends to go hand in hand with depression, the anxiety. Um, So I was eventually diagnosed with anxiety, which considering what I've been through, it shouldn't really be surprising or shocking that I deal with anxiety. Um, And I also was diagnosed uh, once with PTSD. It does not just happen to war veterans. Um, I was told by my Christian doctor that when I was married, that my home was a war zone, a literal war zone. And um, that is the truth. And when he first told me that, I was understandably in shock because at that time in my life, I was extremely brainwashed. I was pretty brainwashed, Um, both, I mean, by family members, by Um, well-meaning family members, I'm sure, but by family members, by my ex-husband, you know, by a church I had been attending. And so um, I would not be surprised if I had CPTSD now. But like I said, I've been in counseling off and on for years. And all of the counselors have told me that I manage everything well. And so those are some of the emotional consequences of me having lived with abuse pretty much all of my life. And I'm stating this matter-of-factly because it's just a part of my life, unfortunately. Um, And it is unfortunate. Again, I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me. I'm just sharing my story with you um, so that hopefully it helps you to maybe understand things a little more. Because if you're like me, it took me many, many years to finally um, come out and start understanding, you know, why I'm affected the way I am and 
you know, how it affects me and how that in turn can affect others. Um, because I was definitely not raised with, um, I believe I was raised with good intentions, but I definitely was not raised with a, within a healthy environment. And so I did not learn healthy mechanisms of life and living. And I did not learn healthy boundaries. Um, and so those are some of the emotional and mental consequences that the abuse, um, in those ways, the abuse has taken a toll on me. Physically, um, including the mental slash emotional uh, consequences, physically, I have 27 things medically wrong with me. Um, obviously, I'm covered and protected by HIPAA law and all those. So I won't go into all of them. Um, none, nothing, thankfully, is life-threatening. Um, but there are some pretty serious ones, and then there are some really minor ones. But I believe the majority, if all of them, are consequences of the abuse I went through. Uh, a couple to a few of them are genetically inherited from one or both of my parents in my family line, my family line of you know, genetics and whatnot, what have you. Um, but um, one thing that is a direct result and a direct consequence that is a physical consequence of all the abuse I have endured in my life, especially in my marriage that I had years ago, um, is I permanently have uh, what's called mild arthritis in my entire body. Um, and also since a young age, um, I have what's called patellofemoral pain syndrome, which is basically runner's knee. It's called runner's knee and it doesn't necessarily mean you're a runner, although I did run track in high school, but it's just the name of what it's called. So with the mild arthritis, um, I can't sit still for very long without it being painful to move when I finally move. Um, that coupled with my knees, um, occasionally my knee or my knees, or they'll take turns, will go out. And that is excruciatingly painful. That one's not fun. Um, and sometimes I have to try to tolerate the pain of it going back in, which is not fun either. Um, it's excruciating, excruciatingly painful, but, um, and it's difficult for me to walk up and down stairs. Um, I walk with a cane for long distances and for steps or stairs. Um, and so, uh, the mild arthritis also sometimes causes my joints to hurt, especially if it's raining outside or there's really cold weather or ice or something like that, um, that is one of the symptoms. It causes me to lose my balance more often probably than most people because I'm trying to juggle the con chronic pain. Um, and uh, when I'm walking up steps, I sometimes have to go quite slowly. And I try not to go up steps if I can avoid it at all because it's, just too painful a lot of times. 
So that's just one consequence. But the whole point of this is to share with you that it is entirely possible and likely probable that if you have suffered any kind of trauma, especially abuse, your body can easily and does easily respond to that, I believe, to protect itself. But it 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 wears on your body. It's like wear and tear on your car, but it's wear and tear on your body, you know? And your body is getting this mileage on it and it's accelerated because you're in traumatic situations. Especially when you're involved in a domestic violence situation, that has a tendency to repeat itself and to escalate. Um, you have a heightened sense of alertness and that causes your adrenaline to pump. And I'm not a physician, but this is my basic understanding of it, um, which causes your whole body basically to be on alert. And that is stressful on your whole body and your body has to react somehow. Um, because our bodies weren't really designed or created to endure a ton of stress, in my opinion, to, to repeatedly endure that adrenaline rush. And it, it's not always a good rush, you know, like a runner's adrenaline rush. That's a good rush because, you know, you're getting exercise, you're going to run, it's healthy for your body. But this is a different kind of adrenaline rush. It's a bad one because your body's adrenaline rush is now because it senses danger. And, you know, our danger response, as you probably have heard, is fight, flight, or freeze, right? Fight, fight, or fight, flight, or freeze. In other words, fight the danger, flight, run from the danger, or freeze, you know, um, Sometimes if we're in an emergency situation, we will freeze and you really don't know exactly what you're going to do until it happens. Everyone, we can all say, oh, I would do this, but you don't really know until you're actually in that situation exactly how you're going to react and how your body is going to react. But whatever reaction your body does, they all take adrenaline, they all take energy and they all affect your body. For example... Um, this isn't abuse, but just as an example, years ago as a teacher, um, I was one of a group of staff members who was trained by a SWAT team um, for active shooters. In other words, they were training us and did a simulation on how would we as staff members respond if an active shooter came into our school? Like, how would we respond? And again, the topic of a flight, fight, or freeze response came up. And I honestly thought I would fight. But you know what I did? I froze. And I felt so weak that I just froze. Usually I'm really good in an emergency. But I think I froze because I felt the danger was to me. If I feel the danger is to someone else in my past, I have, you know, jumped into action because I want to help the other person. And I'm really good in an emergency like that. I just, I cry and release all the adrenaline after everyone's safe and everything's over. But I learned in that active shooter training and simulation with the SWAT team, and we had gas masks and everything we were required to put on. I remember asking the SWAT 
one of the SWAT team members if I had to put it on because I'm claustrophobic? And he said, yes. So I did. I wasn't very happy about it, but I'm glad in the long run because now I know I can do it if I have to. Um, I didn't enjoy it at all, but I did it. And so I know I can if I have to. But all this is not good for our bodies. And in a case of domestic violence, in any case of domestic violence, it doesn't ever happen just once. If it'll happen once, it'll happen again. And so your body is constantly, repeatedly being exposed to this unhealthy adrenaline. And again, I'm not a doctor or a licensed therapist or anything. I'm just sharing what I've learned and my experiences and my observations. And so it takes a toll on your body. And your body kind of says, I've had enough. Like, I need a break. I need a rest. And it does affect you physically in many different ways. And it can be different ways for every person who um, is a victim of domestic violence. Real quick, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. Um, I don't think of myself as a victim of domestic violence anymore. I was a victim in the past. But I like to think of myself, I used to think of myself as a survivor. I don't even think of myself as that anymore, even though I am also a survivor of domestic violence. I like to think of myself as a thriver. You know, God helps me thrive. Jesus helps me thrive. That doesn't mean my life is perfect. Far from it. Um, but I am in a healthy place now, a much healthier place. Um I have learned over the years that, you know, I used to blame myself for everything because um, I was scapegoated on, scapegoated, excuse me, on both sides of my divorced family all my life, which has been, um, you know, multiple counselors have advised me that of that. Um, and so I was used to blaming myself always for everything that went wrong. And then I've shared on one other podcast episode that, you know, when I finally started coming out of that and started becoming a little healthier, finally, I kind of swung, swung the pendulum completely the opposite direction and was the opposite unhealthy way in an opposite unhealthy way. And I was not wanting to accept blame for anything for a little while. Um, and, and I was resentful that all my life I had let people blame me for stuff. And not just that, but I blamed myself for things that happened. And most of it had absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, and so then finally, I think I've come around to a healthy balance from a couple of years ago, maybe, that I will accept blame for what I do wrong. In fact, I'm now honest to a fault and I will tell on myself, kind of, I'll tell what I do if I do something wrong, usually it's inadvertent and unintentional completely. But if I do something wrong, I'm the first one to admit it, you know, and that's why I get really upset now if someone challenges my integrity, because it's always been extremely high, you know, and for example, if you ask me if I'm angry, and I say yes, it's the truth, I'm angry. If you ask me if I'm angry, and I say no, it's the truth, I'm not angry, you know, um, but, you know, God's given me the ability to separate logic and emotion. So, um, you know, just because I'm angry, 
You know, some people just assume that if you're angry, you're yelling. That's not me. Um, when I'm angry, I might speak in a very stern voice. And sometimes I might yell. But just because I'm angry doesn't necessarily mean I'm yelling. And um, I, you know, resent when, if anyone ever tries to imply that I'm, if I'm, I'm angry, I must be yelling. No, if I'm yelling, I will straight up, flat out tell you I'm yelling, you know, um, because I'm honest, I say to a fault, but I'm very honest. And I always tried to teach my children that we should be honest, even if it hurts, you know, even if it hurts us, even if it hurts someone else, we don't want to hurt others. We don't want to hurt ourselves, but you know, honesty is always the best policy and that's our integrity. So, you know, and, you know, it upsets me sometimes. I'm, I'm just speaking in generalities here, okay? But it upsets me sometimes if someone questions my character or my integrity. Um, because that person obviously does not know me at all or they wouldn't be doing that. Years ago, when I applied to work at family Christian stores, which unfortunately is now out of business, um, but I worked there as an assistant manager for quite a while, and I worked at that store for several years. But before I could work there, um, every applicant had to take a test. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I took the test. And not knowing, you know, what's the purpose of the test? What's the point of the test? And uh, the, the hiring manager, his name was Chris Hershey, one of the best bosses I've ever had. He was amazing. Um he came out and he said, well, I've got the results of your test and I want you to know that this test was to measure your honesty. <laughs> like what, how, how honest of a person you are, basically. And he said, Gwenna, I want you to know that you scored, you had the highest score in the history of the company. And I was just blown away. So... You know, I take it very seriously if someone attacks my character or my integrity um, because I am very honest. And, and, you know, some people don't like how honest I am. But, you know, I'm honest about myself and I'm on, I try to be honest about others. You know, I've learned over the years and I've, as I've grown older to, to try to do it with more sensitivity than I used to. Try to um, show I have compassion but I didn't always used to show the compassion. So I try to show as much compassion as I can because, you know, that's how I would want to be treated. I would want someone to be compassionate toward me. So I want others to feel cared about and cared for. And it's important that people know that you care about them, that you love them. And you may not know them very well, but just the fact that you're a Christ follower um, you know that you love people. It's just kind of something the Holy Spirit puts in us. And we care about people. And um, we're still human and we still have feelings and we still get angry or feel angry. We still feel, you know, different emotions that are positive and negative. But that doesn't change the fact that we care about other people and we want the best for them. And I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I kind of you know, I think about the verse in Philippians that says, 
put others' interests above your own. And I try really hard to do that. Um, but it's hard because you don't want to be gossiping about other people. So really the only person you can talk about is yourself. So it's kind of a, a challenging balance there. Um, but my integrity is paramount to me because that's how people are going to see Christ through me. It doesn't mean I'm perfect because nobody's perfect. Romans 3.23, I constantly quote, which says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I'm trying, you know, I'm doing my best and um, I am very honest. And sometimes that gets me in trouble being too honest <laughs> because most people are not. A lot of people are not. So all of this um, abuse over the years can definitely affect us emotionally, for sure, mentally, psychologically, and even physically. And I think that we don't realize how much abuse can affect us physically, except for we think, you know, we have a tendency to think abuse affects us physically, of course, because, you know, if somebody hits you in the head, then that's physical pain. Or if someone slaps you across the face, that's and it is that, but it's not just that. Our body can react and does react physically to the trauma of abuse. And like I said, I never realized it before. And I think, me personally, I have multiple medical issues that I believe a lot of them are very much a direct result of abuse. Um, so, again... Uh, mental, emotional, psychological, physical um, abuse can affect us in many ways. So that's the bad news. The good news is that, um, you know, we can get healthier. We can get healthier, first of all, spiritually. You know, knowing that God loves me was my number one salvation Um one of my sisters one time said to me, Gwenna, I don't know how you do it. You've been through so much. And most people, if they had been through even a portion of what you've been through, they would blame God. But you're, you are even closer to God. But what she didn't understand then, I don't think, and maybe she does now, I hope for her sake, is that people's abuse of me and people's betrayal of me and people's trauma done to me caused me to go to God because he was all I had. And I knew that it wasn't God's fault how people were choosing to act toward me, how people were choosing to treat me, you know? Um, but, but my sister was right. A lot of us blame God for things that happen in our lives. And, um, I I was really struggling. I've been really struggling for a long time um, with, um, as I've mentioned before, the estrangement of one of my children. And I got really depressed about it for a long time. And um, it's been over two years now um, since he estranged himself from me, since he first um, did that well over two years. Um, in fact, it's coming up on two and a half, I think. Yeah. 
it's coming up on two and a half years now. Um, but, uh, that in the beginning, it affected me so deeply that unbeknownst to most, I was battling suicidal thoughts that were trying to enter my mind. Now, as a teacher, I've also had suicide prevention training that's targeted for teenagers that, you know, is the the purpose and the the desire of that was to help us help teenagers who, who struggle with that. Um, but I knew enough from that training to know what I needed to do. And I immediately got help. Um, and so I was okay. I didn't have a plan or anything. Um, I just was that depressed. And it was really hard to admit back then that I was going through that because my faith in God has always been super high. And it's been probably the main thing that people have always admired about me is that no matter what happened, I always have this faith in God. And my faith has always been unshakable, my faith in God and in Jesus. And like crazy, insane circumstances didn't matter. My faith was rock solid. I was very steadfast. But that's because God was so faithful to me. How could I be any less? Right? Um, and that's how I thought. That's what I thought. And how I, that's how I felt. Um, and then, you know, I went through pretty much all the stages of grief with that whole estrangement um, from my one child. And... It creeps up sometimes, um, especially with all the other things I mentioned earlier that I struggle with the chronic depression, the anxiety, the PTSD, primarily from my marriage and the abuse in that. Um, and it just um, every once in a while, it gets me down a little bit for sure. I would say a little bit is really a grandiose understatement. Um you know, and, and I had to come to terms finally with the fact that <laughs> I, I wasn't a perfect mother, which I already knew that, but I made mistakes as a mother. And it took me a long time to really, um, like I felt so guilty for a really long time. And I finally came to terms with that and was able to apologize and ask forgiveness, thankfully. For my sake, yes, but actually more so for my child's sake. And um, I, I just, I wanted to bless my child with that, not for my own self, but for his sake, for my child's sake. Um, so thankfully, I was eventually able to do that um, and, and recognize the things that I did wrong. And, you know, I wish I could go back and change the past. I wish I could, you know, fix or make up for the things I did wrong that I thought at the time I was doing right. I thought I was making good choices. Um, but I'll tell you, being a teacher has taught me so much. Um, we teachers, we learn from our students too, or at least I do. And I'm so grateful because um, my students have taught me so much. And um, my children also have taught me so much. And I'm grateful for those lessons so that I can be a better person um, to my own children and to, to my students and to anyone else I encounter. Um, 
it's really hard to not operate in my flesh sometimes, especially in the environment I work in because it's public. It's a public environment. It's not a, it's not necessarily a Christian environment. And so there are people of all kinds, which I absolutely love. I love the diversity. You know, I love learning different people and what they think. And even if I don't agree with it, especially if I don't agree with it, because it makes me curious and want to learn. But I've just, I've learned so much about um, life and how to treat others and how to expect to be treated. Um, and that's primarily with respect. You know, everyone deserves to be respected. And I think the main thing I personally have realized about abuse and when someone's being abused is they're most definitely not being respected. If you're abusing someone, you are definitely not treating that person with respect. And so, um, you know, and sometimes we do that in anger and we don't realize what we're doing, but that doesn't change the fact that we're doing it. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm very grateful for all these lessons that, you know, um, I've learned from others um, and for the peace that God has given me um, through these lessons and helping me become a better person. And I also know that as a teacher, um, kids, students, teenagers are constantly watching me. And that that's a tremendous amount of pressure on me um, not to be perfect, but to try to be the best person I can be for them, for me, but also for them. And um, I do want to be that best person I can be always. Um, so uh, another thing that can develop from abuse is eating disorders. Um, and, and there's just a plethora of things that can possibly be a result of experiencing or going through traumatic things such as, for example, abuse. And so um, some of the ways uh, that we can overcome these negative consequences, of course, the first one is to have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus said that we are his friends if we love him and we obey his commands. So did you know you're Jesus' friend? All you have to do is talk to him. Um, and then uh, you can, if you want, you can accept his free gift of eternal life. There's no strings attached. There are, not there is, there are no strings attached. Um, it's a free gift of eternal life. It's not an obligation. Costs absolutely nothing to you, to me, or to anyone else. Jesus paid the price for our sins, and that's, um, I'm recording this the day after Easter, ironically, when we celebrate the fact that, you know, Jesus died for our sins to replace us, to pay the penalty for us, to bridge the gap between us and God, who is a holy God. And so if you're not a Christian, a lot of people say I'm a Christian and they don't really know what it means. I like to use the term Christ follower um, because I think that a lot of people think Christian means good person, um, but Christ follower means you try to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus is God. It says in Genesis, 
in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word, the word word is a capital W and that means Jesus. Jesus is the word. Um, that word there means Jesus. So Jesus is God. A lot of people don't think Jesus is God. Um, they believe he's part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I believe that that's what the word means. Capital W-O-R-D is Jesus. So Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the word was with God. And Jesus was with God. And the word was God. And Jesus was God. Um, so all you have to do to accept the free gift of eternal life it's explained in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is God and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's all you have to do to become a Christian or a Christ follower, to accept Jesus' free gift of eternal life. It doesn't cost anything. It's totally free. Jesus already did all the work. There's no work to be done. We can't earn our salvation. Um, once you become a Christian or a Christ follower, then you can, you know, you'll want to do things because of your love for Christ, because you'll suddenly have the Holy Spirit living within you, so to speak. And that'll change your heart. It did mine for sure. Um, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was 12 years old. Then I backslid about a year later for to, uh, about till I was in college. And then I started seeking him out again. And I eventually recommitted my life to Christ many, many years ago. Um, you know, that's all there is to it. And so one thing you can do to help uh, restore you to spiritual health is, um, you know, to... Uh, Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, ask God to forgive you, and invite him to be Lord of your life, and talk to Jesus, talk to God on the daily, you know? Um, it says in, uh, is it Thessalonians or Philippians, to pray without ceasing. I think that's Thessalonians, First Thessalonians maybe, pray without ceasing, you know, I'm I'm constantly in my head praying to God wherever I am. Silent prayers all the time. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, off and on, all day long, every day. I try to pray as much as I can. Um, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is pray and thank God for waking me up. <laughs> the last thing I do before I go to sleep at night, usually, unless I fall asleep early <laughs> and don't get to it before I fall asleep, is I will pray and thank God for the day. Um, so spiritually, that's something you can do. Uh, maybe if you're not already, become part of a Bible-believing, um, Bible-based church or church community. That'll help, you know, surround yourself with Christians, especially if you're new to the faith, if you just accepted Jesus into your heart. And if you did, yay, welcome to the family. I rejoice with you. <laughs> um, and if you didn't, that's okay. You you know, um, it's not an obligation. Everyone makes their own choice. Uh, it's okay for now. Just know that there will be a consequence one day if you, you know, choose not to be that way. But like I said, it's your choice. God doesn't force anyone 
to accept a free gift. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, another thing that we can do to help us heal from the trauma of abuse is we can take care of our bodies to the best of our abilities. And our bodies have already been affected in some ways, obviously and understandably, but um, we can do our best to drink lots of water and remain stay hydrated. Water is extremely important. Um, I would say that's probably my number one physical health tip is drink lots of water. Um, the next thing I'm very guilty of still needing to work on desperately and big time is trying to eat more healthily than we do now, making, you know, improve one thing at a time or whatever. And of course, exercise. Um, getting lots of fresh air is something I've noticed that I'm not as good at as I used to be. And my mood tends to improve when I am outside. And so whenever the weather permits it, I try to go outside. And even if it's just take a short walk or sit on my porch swing that I bought um, because it reminds me of my beloved Grandma Walker's porch swing and um, some of the lovely times we had on there. It's very special to me. Um, you can do things like that, too, that are sentimental. You know, my, my grandma was my best friend, and she was there for me. Um, she loved me unconditionally, and she was one of the biggest blessings in my life, as well as uh, my son. My son is also and has been one of the biggest blessings in my life. Um, you know, so God does give us blessings, too, in the midst of everything else that's going on or has been going on or was going on with the trauma of the abuse and stuff like that. Um, but my grandma and my son um, were my best friends and are. He is my best friend, thankfully. You know, he's an adult now, older, and so it's helpful. And, you know, um, hopefully I still, you know, hold out hope that hopefully my my estranged child is is getting counseling also like i have been i hope that for my son or my my child's sake i hope that um and i hope that the counselor is able to help my child in ways that i obviously was not able to help um so um because for one thing I have learned is for estrangement, for a child to estrange from a parent, um, there could be some other factors influencing this decision like that, such as parental alienation and stuff like that. But the child is obviously going through something very emotional and or hurtful to come to that point where they feel like an estrangement is necessary or a best route to take. Um, and like I said, each of us who's experienced abuse, um, we have some, obviously we all know we have some emotional and mental ramifications, but we do also have some physical consequences as well. So those are a couple of things that we can do physically and spiritually, you know, and mentally, um, just reminding ourselves who we are in Christ, 
Um, you know, for me, God kept telling me, you're my princess warrior. You're my princess warrior. And he kept trying to empower me because I had been told all my life everything that was wrong with me, supposedly. You know, um, just people constantly, mostly family members, extended family members, just complaining about everything. They ever, it seemed like everything they could think of. You know, I was never good enough. No matter how hard I tried, I felt like I was never good enough. And, um, you know, I tried really hard to show my children unconditional love and that, you know, not only did I love them no matter what, but I never wanted them to feel like they weren't good enough because I knew what that felt like. And emotionally, um, you know, just getting in the sunshine, um, you know, fellowshipping with people at, at a church body maybe, or, you know, making friends, talking with friends, going out to eat with a friend, um, going on a short hike if you're physically able, things like that, maybe going for a bike ride, going to the gym. Um, even though those are physical, they're also mental and emotional stimulations too to help us become even healthier than we already are hopefully getting. Um, so those are just some ideas. I'm sure you can probably think of more and probably even better ideas than I can. Um, but I hope that this podcast episode has somehow helped you. Maybe it'll help you identify some physical issues that you have that could be a result of the trauma through which you've been, the trauma you've been through, or the abuse you've been through. And maybe that can help you, help catapult you and your doctor, your physician, your counselors, in how you can um, be treated or be helped. Um, so I hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, and know that God loves you and he never wanted you to be abused. And um, also, I'd like to say, while most abusers, this is my opinion, okay? This is my opinion, me personally, my opinion. I think while most abusers are never going to change, there are a few there are a few who really can change and who really want to change and who really do change over time. Um, and maybe they just didn't realize what they were doing or how they were acting or the things they were saying or how the things they were saying were affecting you or someone else. And so it's really important to be cautious and use discernment um, because forgiveness is not necessarily the same as trusting. You know, we can forgive someone, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to trust them again or even that we should trust them again. But I personally believe that the people who are truly sincere, and so how do we know the difference? Well, for example, I'll use my ex-husband as an example. Um, we were married a total of 17 years. I tried... I mean, he physically abused me a minimum of every six months for the first 10 years of our marriage. I kept it quiet. Um, I'm just kind of glossing over it right now because my whole testimony is on another podcast episode. If if you want to hear that, I encourage you to listen to that, um, my marriage story uh, or my testimony, uh, Gwenna's testimony, I think it's called. Um, 
but um, I separated from him for three times. I tried to get him to go to counseling. I mean, and he just kept returning to the same old abusive behavior. Um, there was one point where we were abuse free for three years, but then it then he returned to his physically abusive behavior. And that's when I kind of snapped. But, you know, that showed me he was not willing. He wasn't willing to go to counseling. He wasn't willing to change. He wasn't willing to change and make it a lasting permanent change. You know, and they say time will tell. And so give people a chance who are really trying to change. You know, that's what I would recommend, but be cautious about it. But also don't give people a chance that have consistently shown you and proven to you by their actions that they're never going to change. Um, at least not how they treat you or how they act toward you. For example, like my ex-husband once said, if if someone ever says this to you, you know they're never, they have no intention of changing. He said, and I quote, you know, you're the only one I treat like this. And there are two problems with that statement, obviously. The first one is clearly he knows how he treats me is wrong or he wouldn't say that. And secondly, he's trying to blame me for how he chooses to treat me. And my response was, well, that's your choice after I finally started getting empowered. So that's the difference, I think, between someone who's trying to change and someone who's not is the someone who's not, they they won't admit they might admit they've done wrong for a minute, but then they go back and do it again. My grandma, my beloved grandma Walker used to say, sorry doesn't mean anything. Don't say you're sorry unless you actually mean it. And the way you show you mean it is by changing your behavior. Sorry means nothing without changed behavior. And so the way you can tell if someone truly means it is permanently lasting changed behavior. Does that mean they're perfect? No, you're not perfect either. I'm not perfect either, you know, but please give someone a chance if they are trying to change, but don't trust the person who tries to make you think they're changing. Trust the actions, watch the actions, trust God, be led by the spirit, pray about it and trust God. And we all have hope in Jesus. We've seen serial killers who have changed. So we know we can see abusers change because Luke 137 tells us that nothing is impossible with God. But the difference is and the key is, does the person want to change? Is the person repentant? I think that's the difference. So let me know what you think. Thank you for listening again. Please stay safe. Do not trust actions that don't change over time, um, but do give someone a chance who has proven that they are changing the, or that they have truly changed by their actions, not by their words simply. God bless you. Jesus love or no, I love you. I said it backwards. <laughs> I love you, but Jesus loves you more. Until next time.